Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone, I'm Steve Schmidt with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, October 12th. Today I'm speaking with Tony Upoff, President and CEO at Thomas. The company helps connect buyers, engineers, and other sourcing and procurement specialists working in various industries, like aerospace and defense, consumer electronics, and, yes, automotive, with manufacturing suppliers across North America. Upoff and his team have a deep view of the supply chain, based on sourcing decisions made every day on the company's platform. And he says there are a few key trends emerging as companies respond to and navigate the chip shortage, other kinks in the supply chain, and, of course, the pandemic. For example, he says the practice of dual sourcing is becoming more common as manufacturers seek to mitigate future supply chain risk and disruption, particularly in commodities where multiple industry requires supply. Another trend? Reshoring manufacturing and supply chains, both in response to vulnerabilities exposed by the pandemic and because of benefits created by technologies like digital twins and additive manufacturing and auto manufacturers increase use of those digital tools. What commodities are being dual sourced most often? How does supply chain visibility in the automotive industry compare to other industries? And what can manufacturers in the automotive industry glean from how companies in consumer electronics and aerospace use technology to manage their supply chains? And finally, what's his point of view on vertical integration in automotive? We've reached Tony Uphoff, president and CEO at Thomas in Southern California. Tony, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Steve. It's so nice to be on with you. Thank you. It's good to speak with you. I'm glad to have you on the show. We're going to talk a lot about supply chain today, certainly top of mind, wherever you are in the automotive industry these days. So given what you and your team do, the interactions you're seeing from tier ones, tier twos, tier threes, what are some supply chain trends you're seeing these days? Yeah, Steve, boy, to say it's a vibrant time would be a dramatic understatement. So just two seconds of table setting for your listeners here. Our core platform of thomasnet.com, every second an engineer, procurement professional, or an MRO is sourcing a product or selecting a supplier. So that data in real time gives us this remarkable window into the industrial and manufacturing economy. And a few broad-based trends that I, I think are, are just really kind of remarkable to see. I think the first that I would note here is a dramatic increase in reshoring. And Steve, as you know, and your listeners would know, reshoring is not new. It's been happening for the better part of a decade. It was starting to increase. During the pandemic, it took a pretty significant lift. So our latest surveys are showing that upwards of 80% of companies are likely or extremely likely to reshore some, if not all of their uh, their manufacturing operations. I, I think the second thing that we're clearly seeing, Steve, is an acceleration of secondary and tertiary sourcing. You know, I said another way, boy, I think the days of single sourcing are are coming to a very, very abrupt end. 
So would you say it is the supply chain disruptions that we're seeing around the chip shortage? Is that really being a catalyst at, at this point for some of the trends you're seeing? I think it's that for sure, right? So if you think about the chip shortage, you know, it's it's uh, it's becoming a cliche to, to for the audience that you serve to suggest that, you know, automobiles are rolling computers. So suddenly now there's competition. You know, uh, auto companies are looking for for you know uh, you know in essence what used to be the the bastion of you know consumer electronics or or computer companies. So certainly there's that. There's there's an increased competition. I think at the same point in time, we're also seeing based on the pandemic that people um, you know are realizing you know major corporations are realizing how fragile supply chains can be. So I think there's two things happening. I think there's a, a legitimate shortage and series of disruptions, and you're seeing companies try to shore up an already disrupted supply chain. But I think you're also seeing companies that are looking forward and and perhaps kind of you know kind of a, in a relieved state that the pandemic didn't disrupt things more than it could have. So they're preparing to not be disrupted in the future, if that makes sense. So, you know, yes, immediate needs. But I think, Steve, you're also seeing some companies take steps based on kind of, you know, uh, realizing the complexity of what's going on out there and some of the the drivers and looking for secondary tertiary sources and, and assuring that they can't be caught flat footed as the markets move through, particularly coming up through the towards the end of the, the year and the holiday seasons and things like that. Let's let's stick with some of these trends for a little bit, particularly dual sourcing. Are you seeing specific commodities where this is happening more frequently? Yeah, I think I think certainly around raw materials. So you're seeing it around steel. You're seeing it around lumber. Um, to a less extent, we haven't seen it as much around things like rubber, um, but we're certainly seeing it in in some of the you know the the raw materials. You're you're definitely seeing it in areas of custom manufacturing, though, as well. Um, as you well know, you know, auto the auto industry has you know a very complex series of small to medium sized business relationships that roll up into a finished uh, automobile, and we're clearly seeing second uh, secondary uh, sourcing going on in and around custom manufacturing. I think part of it is just flat demand, you know. Uh, these companies are seeing an increase, a surge in demand. In many cases, it wasn't anticipated. Think of the housing market to a great extent. Think of the auto industry. But I think also um, companies are very concerned that they not be caught flat-footed if indeed there is a disruption. And and again, as I said before, Steve, probably a bit of a of a cliche to say at this stage. I think the days of single sourcing. Um, I, I think every major company out there right now is really doing a very careful evaluation and looking to assure that, boy, if that single source were to go down, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm seeing the future here and I just don't want to be caught in an environment where that source could go down for any amount of time. Absolutely. And I think some of these commodities, and I'd like your point of view on this, you know, some of these commodities, particularly chips, batteries, some of these other materials, we are finding the automotive industry is finding itself in competition with other industries for some of these commodities that are common across that. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some implications for automakers as and suppliers? Any trends you're seeing relative to 
how suppliers are using dual sourcing to maybe mitigate risk when you're not only competing against yourself or your other competitors in this industry, but you're competing with manufacturers in all sorts of industries these days. Hey, Steve, to your point, not, not, not to suggest the auto industry wasn't complicated enough. The auto industry is clearly going through a checkers to chess moment. And what I mean by that is, you know, historically, you, you, you had a fairly clear set of you know, direct or indirect competitors that you competed for raw materials, you competed for for talent, you competed for, um, you know, components. Now start to think about what you're suggesting, right? Let's take electronic components for a minute and, and specifically chips. You're not only competing against computer companies, you're competing against literally every industry in the world these days. You know, a, a new home has more computing technology built into the home. Think of smart appliances. Think of all the different things now where you're competing head up for that. The other aspect about it is, you know, as as has long been predicted, but is now true, um, companies coming from a computer or electronic point of view are starting to stick their nose under the tent in the automotive industry. You know, e Elon Musk didn't grow up bending steel for a living. Uh, but but he's clearly come at this from a software and technology point of view to step into the industry. And while his production is one-fifth or one-sixth what a major uh, automotive company is, his access to capital is quadruple what the average auto company actually has access to. And so I think this competition is getting to be really, really interesting on a lot of different levels. But to stick to the core point, Steve, I think – the auto industry is going through a multidimensional transition where computer uh, companies themselves, technology, but the, the competition for the componentry that goes into a car is going to continue to get uh, more complicated. And, and I think it starts to raise um, the potential, let me say, for really rethinking things like vertical integration, partnerships. Um, how you manage your supply chain, alliances that you might strike. I, I think this is, you know, a, a, a really unique time for the auto industry. So many themes there that I want to talk a little bit more about as we go through today's conversation. Before we go down those paths, let's talk about reshoring. For the longest time, and it's changed a lot over the last 10 to 15 years, but previous to that, it was offshoring equaled low cost labor, low cost production. And the value of that uh, was, was, you know, for most intents and purposes, the driver of that strategic decision. Now you're seeing reshoring, as you say, is it no longer about low cost? What are, why are people reshoring um, based on, on some of the things that you're seeing? Yeah, and I think there's a series of factors related to the reshoring trend. And Steve, you know, your listeners would, would be very sophisticated about this. But just to emphasize, when we talk about reshoring, don't think of this as a pendulum swinging from one direction completely to another direction completely. There's subtlety and nuance here. So as an example, are, it, does the data suggest that companies that are perhaps, you know, manufacturing components or different things in China or Vietnam are 100 percent going to bring bring that back to um, the United States? No. What it suggests is some or all of that manufacturing is starting to shift, however. And there's a couple of really obvious reasons why that's happening. The first, as it always is, is the inexorable march of technology, the ability to 
manufacture using advanced technology today just is is exponentially more advanced than it was even five years ago, let alone a decade plus. And what that's allowing companies to do, Steve, is to start to reevaluate the initial math that drove offshoring to begin with and suddenly realize, oh, wait a second, I can either either be at parity I might even be able to beat that math, but when I start to factor in, I can locate manufacturing near clusters of customers and other suppliers here in the United States, and I can avoid uh, the lengthy time and also the cost of shipping around the world. That math is being reevaluated. So the technology is making it more accessible. I think the math is being reevaluated. Um, and then I guess the other piece I'd add in, Steve, that I think is a, is a component of this is supply chain risk. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the more you know, broadly distributed my supply chain is across time zones, currencies, you know, complicated travel stuff, I have to be willing to deal with the potential of disruption. And if, if I can bring all that a little closer to home and I can manage it a little bit tighter, and by home, I don't just mean where your headquarters is. I mean where you're going to put components together to a, to a, a, a final product, but also proximity to markets. You know, it's, it's one thing to manufacture in a location, but, you know, you, many people don't stop to think about well, where's the market for that finished product? And if that market for that finished product is 6,000 miles away, there's a significant cost, both opportunity cost and and literal dollars and cents cost of getting that finished product to the consuming audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's not only the cost of manufacturing when you look at the all-in cost, the shipping cost, I think then exacerbated by two factors we've talked about, increasing basis of competition and supply chain risk, even exacerbated more by a very tense geopolitical environment that we see around the world right now, it, the reshoring, I think, is just just makes a lot of sense. And it's not surprising that that I think some suppliers and some OEMs are already starting to to operate this way, as you say. Yeah, Steve, I think you're seeing it happen. And and you know, to your point on the geopolitical stuff, it, it is it is not my area of expertise, but you're clearly seeing the US government start to you know, whether it's the Buy American Act that they've remodeled or other initiatives that, that that they're starting to make that a more attractive concept for domestic manufacturers. And I think that that plays a role there. I, I also think, you know, as you start to look and particularly in China, um, you know, you have to question, you know, whether whether the, the viability of, you know, allowing you know, a, a disproportionate amount of your manufacturing coming out of China. They're they're clearly having power grid challenges there. I think there's a there's some you know geopolitical challenges and things like that. So, you know, I think if you're running an automotive company today, boy, it it's it's no simple feat. And I think you have to to really start to think about um, components that that might be hidden. Uh, uh, gating factors on your supply chain. You know, I mean, some things that are less obvious than just the per unit cost of manufacturing a, a particular piece. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. 
Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. One of the things that I was really looking forward to today's conversation is this view that you have across multiple industries. And specific to supply chain visibility, can you maybe share some points of view, some perspective when you compare and contrast what you're seeing in auto versus other industries and how they're creating supply chain visibility deeper into tier two and tier three? What is the auto industry doing right? What is the auto What can the auto industry maybe take from lessons from other industries and in, in that you watch and that you work with? Yeah, I think it's it's very clear. And 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 just to give a a, a bit of optics uh, to your listeners, Steve, we we monitor all this data. We we uh, uh, open up outside uh, to the to the marketplaces, category level, and um, and uh, industry level. In other words, automotive or aerospace and category steel, right? We do not release company names, so we don't obviously disclose uh, any of those types of things. We are able to see, however, when companies uh, are looking at multiple sources for similar products or services. So it helps us kind of see that. And I think it cuts to the issue here for automotive. I think what automotive companies are, are clearly doing is, A, they're moving very quickly, and I think they are um, accelerating things like where it makes sense reshoring. I think they're uh, accelerating to a certain extent. I think we could probably start to see a little bit of vertical integration starting to happen in the automotive industry. Um, and and I think we're we're also seeing, uh, which is not new, but it's accelerating. The auto industry is really, really investing in advanced manufacturing technology, and particularly technology that I would say augments. Uh, human skill and talent. And see, if you look at um, the auto industry is the highest industry right now that we're tracking for the adoption of additive manufacturing, as an example. And while you and I both know, Steve, that, that or, you know, aka 3D printing, mm-hmm. that's not a new technology, but boy, talk about a technology that its time has come. And that is starting to accelerate very, very quickly. So I think those are the things that, you know, the auto industry is 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 moving, you know, very very quickly. I, I think um, areas where we're watching other uh, industries, I, I think, do some very innovative things. What's not clear to me in the automotive industry is the visibility 
that they have as you get down into tier one, tier two, and tier three is how well they're managing the transparency and and monitoring their supply chains. And you know, some of this is is also due to technology. We can we can you know, we can hook up RFID tags into virtually anything. We can put sensors in anything. And we're starting to see some really innovative things of managing and monitoring supply chains in real time. I'd, I'd say the industry that's the most advanced at this that we've seen so far is the electronics industry, where they're 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 literally real time and, and visual real time. We're also seeing some level of um, the digital twin development mm -hmm. around supply chains, which you and I have talked about before, Steve, which is, this is fairly new, but I, I think we're seeing some industries embrace this pretty quickly. So for, for your listeners that don't know about a digital twin is exactly what it sounds like. It, it provides the capability to create a digital version of a product or service, or in this case, a supply chain, and then stress test it and model it see where there could be um, uh, some fallibility points, some, some need to, to rethink some things, and it, and it allows you to get ahead of potential problems. And so I think that's another area that the auto industry is, is probably next, is to really get that visibility and, and to assure that they can do more than just have visibility, but to start to innovate through the use of technology of supply chain modeling, forecasting, risk mitigation and and planning. Yeah, absolutely. And I, to your point of digital twinning in this industry, a vehicle in the U.S. and meeting regulatory uh, requirements, et cetera, and the features that consumers want could be the exact same nameplate in a different country, but different regulations, different consumer features, et cetera. Digital twinning also allows for that customization if you're building a OEM model here to serve consumers here versus somewhere else in the world. You can build it there locally to your point as well. And it allows for that very quick uh, adjustment for local market needs, consumer needs, regulatory environments, et cetera, et cetera. It's a great example, too, because I think you look, the auto industry, you know, one of the things I think the auto industry has done a very, very good job of uh, is is this idea of kind of mass customization, you know, where, you know, the the, the uh, array of features that are still available to the average consumer when they go to buy a car is really pretty extraordinary today. Well, a lot of that is based on the that, that agility, that ability to do that comes from the type of technology and approaches that you're describing, Steve. You talk about leveraging technology to create deeper supply chain visibility. Can you talk about any sort of uh, maybe use cases you've seen in the industry? Any highlights when it when you think about using cloud and and various digital technologies to create more visibility, more uh, better management of risk in the supply chain? Yeah, as I touched on a minute ago, Steve, I think you know one of the more innovative areas I've seen of this is in electronics uh, industry itself, and and we've spent time with companies that have literally created a real time um, uh, model where they have a, a war room, and they are able to see twenty four hours a day um, a digital view of all of their supply chain. And then they've got RFID tags when things are shipped and they can actually visualize that movement. No different than if you were on an airplane and you could see your progress across the United States from the from the screen of the of the uh, the, the television in, in the in the seat mm -hmm. um, and that ability to monitor that. So 
you know, this this would be an overly simple, simplistic example, but if there was a um, a disruption uh, in a factory that was producing a component, uh, perhaps there was a fire, there was a power outage, there was a machine that went down, um, not only do you have a visual of it, you have an alert system, so there is no lag time. There's no there's no lag time based on time of day. There's no lag time based on, you know, um, time zones or any of those types of things. The, those are really really um, remarkable advantages for companies, particularly companies that are that are you know kind of managing that supply chain in real time, because they can then take action rapidly. They may have a second source they need to turn on. They may need to adjust something. They may need to increase capacity with a different supplier. Um, they can also adjust forecasting based on anything that might happen um, with things that are in transit. You know, right now, as you well know, you know, you, you, for any of your listeners that live anywhere near a port, right, you're seeing ships mm-hmm. docked docked off the uh, off the coast, waiting to get in. So we've got a last mile problem right now. Where you know we're, we're overwhelming the ability for trucking, in particular, to deliver components and and other things to, towards uh, completing finished products. That's a that's a a huge challenge. Having that literal, visual, real time understanding of your supply chain allows you to extent to manage through that really you know really well. I I think the other technology, Steve, and boy, it's it's um, early days. I, I just can't say enough about where I think digital twinning is going to take this. I, I really think the ability to not only see what's happening in your supply chain, but to start to what if and and stress test and remodel and try different things with your supply chain without risking, right, taking mm-hmm. down or bringing, bringing up a supplier that's not quite ready. I think those areas in particular. So real-time camera sensor RFID technology that allows you a, a much higher level of real-time monitoring of your supply chain. And then I think secondarily, the digital twinning, those are probably the two areas that I think that we're seeing that are, are probably the most I- innovative uh, tech, you know, use of technology. One last point I'd make, Steve, um, w- when you look at what's really happening, which is I think is is very exciting, you're starting to see the convergence of a physical supply chain with a digital supply chain with a financial supply chain. And I think the the most sophisticated companies are going to really try to understand where those can come together, where I could use digital technology to forecast, predict, you know, create a certain level of safety, uh, but also uh, understanding how, uh, you know, the implications it may have on the financial supply chain and changes that we need to make. Let's close with a look into the future. And you've talked about it, or at least mentioned it a couple of times, and that's this notion of vertical integration. Can you talk about trends maybe you're seeing in vertical integration and the importance that perhaps vertical integration might play in the future as automakers, suppliers look to navigate all of this supply chain complexity? Yeah. And, and Steve, isn't it fascinating, you know, that I, I don't know what the cycles are. Is it every 20 years that, you know, uh, we, we go back towards vertical integration and then we, you know, it, it shift and change. I think we're going through one of those cycles where a, a large number of industries, not the least of which is the auto industry, are reevaluating that. You know, is it time that we kind of look at either 
owning or co-owning or or assuring that we've got our a control tight control over all aspects of our supply chain you know the the uh, computer industry you know if you go back 20 years ago was almost uh you know nobody did vertical integration initially was all vertical integration then no one did vertical integration we're starting to see certainly with companies like apple a return to vertical integration our prediction is, and we believe we see this in in the sourcing data uh, that we're that we're monitoring, is that you're going to see industries like the auto industry move more towards um, a vertical integration. We're clearly seeing it happening in the electronics industry. You know, uh, Intel uh, is returning uh, mm-hmm. to manufacturing where they had decided to to focus over the last decade or so more on IP and design and 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 get out of the business of manufacturing not completely obviously um but they're they're building fabs here in the United States as you know they've announced that and you know you're going to see that continue I think the the um, the other thing about the auto industry that that is kind of fascinating and and again you know Tesla's the 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 uh, the current example um, Tesla's not going to be the only company that came from a technology software uh, background that's going to get into the auto industry you know we're gonna you know face it you know the you know, uh, you're gonna see Tim Cook on a stage pull the cover off of a car with an Apple logo it's gonna happen and all the data would would suggest that and if you watch what they're doing they are a company that understands vertical integration and vertical integration doesn't mean you own every piece of your supply chain but boy does it mean you have uh, a rather unique control over aspects of your supply chain so i I think you know long-winded answer to your simple question steve but i think vertical integration is coming back i do think however um it is not a simple uh, you know, uh, way to think about vertical integration. I think it still will require partnerships. Um, it could be investments in a supply chain as opposed mm-hmm. to an ownership of a supply chain. Um, it it could be some interesting partnerships, and you know, uh, you know, they in the Silicon Valley they use the expression coopetition, and I think you're going to see more and more of those types of things as companies realize. Um, you know, I, I I can't outsource you know stuff that's increasingly critical to my business. At the same point in time, I may not have the flexibility of owning every component, but how do I manage through and and get the best of what vertical integration offers without it being a liability financially? It's so interesting that you mentioned Apple and certainly their manufacturer is Foxconn. I had Jay Lee from Foxconn on the show a few months ago, and he had the same perspective that said, you look at them as a supplier, and and this was very rudimentary, but he said, you need a sensor, we'll go to one of our business units and we'll buy it. You need a camera, we'll go to one of our business units and buy it. And so not only from a supply chain uh, risk mitigation point of view, uh, but but all of these things in terms of being able to go to one stop, one shop, and and have everything done for you. And they've got budding relationships with automakers where the automakers are the designers, the know-how, and, and Foxconn is the assembler. And I think that is a very good real-life example of, of a company that's done this in consumer electronics that is now looking to do the same in the automotive industry. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think it's such a great example, Steve, you know, and, and you know, it, it – if you listen to the way he articulates that in response to your question, 
he, he's describing a version of vertical integration, but he's not actually using that terminology, right? And, and I think that's, I, I think it's it's a fascinating way to look at it. And I really um, emphasize, I think the companies that are, are gonna take that kind of agile point of view, and by agile, I'm not talking about a manufacturing process, I'm talking more about business partnerships, uh, alliances, relationships, investments, I think those companies are going to are going to thrive and prosper o- over the next 10 to 20 years because I think we're going to see more and more and more of that and you know I think particularly around an industry like the auto industry you know I think you know it 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 is too big of an industry and too valuable of an industry and I think the implications particularly of you know um uh, you know I, I you know, uh, self-driving, if you will, or automated driving, and some of the things that we're seeing come come online. I, I think this, you know, the sky's the limit for the auto industry. At the same point in time, I think the smart companies are going to be making some very thoughtful steps now around supply chain partnerships, technology alliances, and things like that. They're going to set them up uh, well for the future. Tony, thank you for your time. I think you summarized it perfectly in using the word fascinating. Such a fascinating time and such fascinating perspectives you brought to today's show. Thank you for taking a few minutes and sharing your thoughts with our audience. Hey, Steve, really appreciate it. Look forward to speaking with you again. That's Daily Drive for Tuesday, October 12th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.